Hey there, fellow Defenders. This is Defenders TV Podcast, episode 160, all about Luke Cage, season 2, episode 4, I Get Physical. You think I'm holding back? I love that that sounds like Mariah Dillard in that opening theme that we have. And it isn't. It's a sample from a 1950s uh, track that our wonderful composer, Mississippi MacDonald, used on this theme. Very cool. Yeah, very cool. But I don't get the Dillard. Oh, it's Mariah Stokes. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> always the Stokes. Of always, always. Welcome back, fellow Defenders. We're on episode four of our coverage of Luke Cage season two, I Get Physical. This is Defenders TV podcast episode 160. And I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Hello there, fellow Defenders. I am one of your other hosts, John. Let's get physical, physical. <laughs> Let's get physical, physical. You stole that from my last episode, the last episode from yes. me. I was all set to just burst into song. And now I will just say, hello, I am Chris. <laughs> well, that's because you put it into our heads at the end of the last episode, Chris. You, you made it stick there for the entire last five days, I think. <laughs> uh, it is your fault, Chris. Yeah, I will happily take that fault then. <laughs> well, we're going to jump straight into our discussion all about episode four of, uh, of Luke Cage. Um, but if you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, please pop on over to our website at DefendersTVPodcast.com where you can subscribe to any good or evil podcast catcher of your choice uh, to subscribe to our podcast and you can also leave a voicemail with your thoughts on any of the episodes so far or any of the future episodes just click on the send voicemail button to, to leave us 90 seconds of your thoughts about any of the episodes yes and of course as mariah dillard aka stokes said in this episode share the love Show the podcast. <laughs> I don't know whether she said that. I know she said, it's Dillard, bitch. <laughs> well, she said that all right. But she did say, show the love. She said it to uh, Shades. There you go. There you go. See, we, we have it there before her. Yes. And if you're using Google Podcasts now, we are available there as well, which mm -hmm. was released in Europe last week. So, yeah, get us. If you're using that, don't forget to get us there. Like and subscribe there as well. That's Leave right. Leave us a review. But we're also over on Stitcher and every other, as Derek said, good or evil podcast catcher. Excellent. I think we're going to kick into our discussion about this episode. First up, the episode was written by Matthew Lopez. Matthew Lopez is a former writer for WWE with SmackDown and Raw. He's written loads of episodes <laughs> for that show. I think that's really cool. That is very cool. Isn't it? Hey, I, there was a little bit of a Raw Rumble going on at the start there. There certainly was. Yeah, definitely. Uh, he's also written his own TV movie called Dive. And he worked as a writer's assistant on season one of Luke Cage. Uh, has two full writing credit credits in this season. Uh, for season two, he's done this episode and episode 11 of the season. So, uh, so he has an, another one of the players that was in the background of the writer's room working with the writers last season, has moved up into the main head writer's room for uh, this season. It's quite cool. Can you smell what Luke Cage is cooking? Woo! Exactly. This will be a Royal Rumble WWF WWE themed podcast Possibly. from now on. <laughs> Possibly. When you're saying WWF, is that the Worldwide Fund for Wildlife Nature? Federation? <laughs> World Wrestling Federation, because that's how old I am. <laughs> well, let's move on. Matthew did a great job of this episode and has worked with the writers all the way through season one. Great to see that he's got his move into main writer for uh, for season two 
of Luke Cage. Uh, the episode was directed by Sally Richardson Whitfield, a former actress who's been working in TV and movies since the early 90s. Uh, she's done su- some Marvel shows. She's directed an episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And she is, at least for me, the first confirmed director for The Punisher Season 2 because she directs Episode 9 of that season. So, uh, so she is now in the Marvel Universe as a great director. That is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah very cool. John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for the episode? Sure. Knocked down and bruised, Luke Cage struggles with his run-in with Bushmaster and the after-effects of his argument with Claire Temple. As footage of his fight goes viral and spreads across the internet, Luke finds himself increasingly by himself as Claire looks for space and Bobby Fish has to leave to serve as a donor for his sick daughter. Luke distracts himself as he follows the trail of clues surrounding the Jamaican Yardy Gang and Bushmaster. With the help of Misty Knight, they discover the rest of Nigel Garrison's body and Bushmaster's drive to right the perceived wrongs committed against his parents. Meanwhile, Bushmaster comes face-to-face at Harlem's Paradise with Mariah Stokes and speaks of history, Harlem, and his ancestors' involvement in Harlem. Intrigued by their encounter, Shades follows him back to his restaurant to learn more, just as Ridenauer learns more from Darius Comanche Jones. After continuing his investigation at Tilda's shop, Luke returns to Pops alone, but an unexpected knock at the door further adds to Luke Cage's misery. And we'll have to wait to find out what that is for next time's episode. But an interesting ending to the episode. Once again, uh, the correction from last season where we do have a cliffhanger at the end of each episode to push it on to the next episode. Another one that I was going, what's he being charged with? (laughs) Really good. Well, let's kick off with our bullet point number one. Chris, I think this is one for you because it's all about going viral on the Internet. Our first point is D-dubs get some new footage. Yeah, I was a bit surprised. We see Bushmaster lay the smackdown on none other than Luke Cage. Mm-hmm. And we did hypothesize the last episode what uh, Bushmaster, what John was doing against that TV, kind of when he was practicing back and forth. And we see it live in action now. Mm-hmm. He's goes toe to toe with Luke. Dido sits there and records the whole thing and then gets a lovely. Like soundbite from none other than Bushmaster himself. Mm-hmm. Yep. It was just a bit like, what? Because <laughs> didn't we meet D Dubs in season one where he was selling high definition DVDs of the incident and high definition DVDs of other fights that had gone on yeah. in New York? Wasn't that kind of his, his whole bit? So I know we talked about it in episode one that he's be- kind of become a little bit of a sidekick to Luke. He's based out of Pops no longer barbershop, uh, selling his wares and selling his T-shirts. But he's in it for the money. He's totally going to film this whole thing. He's been carrying around that equipment for weeks. Uh, once again, uses the Harlem's Hero app to go and find Luke uh, so that he can maybe film some footage. Doesn't expect that he's going to get this footage of, of Luke getting laid out by, by Bushmaster. That move that he does, that backflip kick oh, into, uh, into Luke's face is just a superb kick. I love how the fight continued there. You know, he gets punched down at the end of episode three, but he's back up and he's like going, okay, maybe that was a lucky jab or something mm-hmm. like that. Maybe he's got a knuckle duster, a rock in his fist or something like that. But, um, that scissor kick, uh, was fantastic. And, you know, the, the sweeping of the feet, um, great. I absolutely loved that. Uh, I loved how Bushmaster sort of held that presence and then how he interacts with D-dubs. Um, just really, really good laying down 
his presence uh, in, in Harlem. And of course, it, it doesn't go unnoticed. Uh, obviously, Shades, because it goes viral, mm-hmm. sees it. So does Tilda. A lot of people see this going on. With the exception of Thomas from uh, the Brooklyn branch of the NYPD, he seemingly doesn't get to use the internet that often. Uh, presumably too busy. He's maybe. networking. He's yeah, networking. exactly. <laughs> Unlike the, Misty. Exactly. Um, the Harlem PD do see it. I love Bailey's reaction where he's kind of going, but this is really funny to watch Like the guy who thinks he's unbeatable getting his ass kicked. Well, they're singing. I'm sure we'll see them doing shots in the next episode. Yeah, I mean, you've got Nadia singing like Jennifer Halliday, as uh, Misty says. Bailey, they're singing all the the Broadway tunes. They seem to be having a lot of fun in Harlem PD this week, don't they? They certainly <laughs> it's like do. We've run out of work to do. Let's just sit on YouTube for a couple of hours and watch videos. <laughs> so, bringing it back to D Dub slightly, he sold the rights for the video to Sports Network. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm assuming Luke gets royalties. Luke's in financial trouble. Is Diesel just pocketing all this? Is it like kind of an escrow fund? <laughs> I'm a bit like, I'm sure you're sharing the, the wealth or Luke doesn't understand the sharing of the, how, how the money comes in. I think D-Dub seems to feel that since he filmed it, it's his footage and he owns all the rights because he did say an exclusive deal, didn't he, with, with Sports Center or with the Sports Network. Um, yeah. So I think he feels it's all his, none of it's Luke, uh, even though he took a pounding for that video, you know? And he does, like, I, I was happy to see the pounding he takes wasn't just shook off, if you want to put it yeah, that oh way. Oh, yeah, exactly. Like, this continues throughout the episode, the the concussion. Mm-hmm. It's a, and it's good, because we talked about how Luke Cage, basically, he was on the rise, he had to have the fall. So we can see the fall happening here. He's stronger, he's more powerful. His support structure, D-dubs, uh, other people, Claire, mm-hmm. are leaving. So he's losing that. And he's discovering that, yes, he's more powerful. He's more indestructible. He's the unstoppable Luke Cage. He's incredible. He's any other word or verb that we want to use to describe him. Well, ones that aren't copyrighted by Spider-Man anyway. Of course, but I was going indestructible, incredible, the astonishing, incredible Hulk. Yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I agree. I I really liked um, seeing his fragility of Luke Cage. As you say, like, D-Dubs is kind of making the book out of him rather than Luke Cage making the book exactly. with Heroes for Hire. You've got Claire effectively not answering her phone when Luke immediately after uh, getting back to Pops Barbers uh, tries to call her because, you know, he's spitting blood and she doesn't answer. And then we see that um, her mom has put the apartment up to sublet. Yeah. And, and all these kind of structures, as you say, Chris, just gradually sort of fading into the background and, and leaving sort of Luke Cage as, as this lonely rock, uh, you know, this island uh, all alone. I really liked seeing that. I liked seeing uh, Luke having to deal uh, with everything on, on his own. Even Bobby Fish at the end has to head on over to like the other side of the country so that he can help his sort of long lost or estranged uh, daughter as well for for the donor for the kidney yeah i i really kind of enjoyed seeing this and it's only really misty that he still is kind of 
connected to and even with misty she certainly is not allowing him in so to speak um i really <laughs> i love that all oh, hell no that she does in the car when he kind of you know he's kind of feeling for uh, a place to lay his head really on the sofa in the spur bedroom uh and she's like Oh, hell no. Uh, so, so well delivered. I just really liked it. And even at the end when, you know, he says he will walk home and she goes, you take your sports bag. Uh, that's no excuse for you to come around to mine to come and collect it afterwards. Just so, so good. Uh, I love Misty uh, yeah. in this. But there is a granny who suggested some coffee. <laughs> Just saying. Oh my I don't God. think he's going to move in uh, to that place, uh, I must say. <laughs> but no, I love those. that interaction between himself and Misty was really, really good. Uh, I love that they have that kind of investigation going on together, that she pulls him in and they kind of work out what way to cover it up. We talked about it in uh, in... Uh, Jessica Jones season two, Chris, where you were saying it would be nice to have a cop on the side of the vigilantes and working with them and having that kind of connection. Misty's obviously the one that's made for that purpose to be the cop that works with the vigilantes. But I love how they do work together. I love that she's kind of going, okay, we've been in this area. We need to work out why a Harlem detective and Luke Cage will be together. And he's kind of going, oh, well, just say you followed me. I'm in trouble all the time anyway. So it's grand. That won't get you into too much trouble. And she goes, well, the dog case I'm in is better than the dog case you're in. So that's fine with me. You know, <laughs> um, good, good little interaction between the two. And again, leading to the idea that they will be working together outside of the police department when eventually Misty possibly becomes a PI in the future. So that's kind of where I was excited, but also, oh, this is going to end badly. She's, Spending a lot of rules here. Yeah, big So time. the question I have is, will she still be a cop at the end of this season? Mm. Like, do we think that, she, that the move to PI will happen sooner? Or will they actually break with kind of the comics tradition, which is not unheard of, and she will remain a police officer, but like special people unit, where she, her job is liaison to like a, a Coulson, but for the NYPD. Right, right. I would say she is going to be a daughter of the dragon. Well, yeah, yeah. Because I agree. Like, she's completely bending the rules. Uh, Ridenauer has got literally no time for her. It's only because she is the uh, private Ryan of the NYPD, it would seem. Uh, he's really not putting any effort into bringing her back into nypd mm -hmm. at all uh, like what does he say to her basically you know if you're doing some moonlighting and you're looking at these cases on your own and um, don't bother to turn up or you might as well not turn up so um like i think that relationship is completely gone and I, i'm just waiting for him to find out that she is moonlighting now she's still being careful in that regards because she does say how am i gonna explain how Misty Knight, Detective Misty Knight and Luke Cage turned up at this warehouse in Brooklyn and found a decapitated uh, body. And, you know, long gone but not forgotten, Nigel Garrison. Poor there he is Nigel. again. He's, to be honest, he's been in all four episodes so far. That's uh, true. I am sure we'll see his fingers uh, probably in episode five. Well, doesn't Shade have his head at the moment? Yeah, so <laughs> that's going to pop up again. So mm -hmm. in fairness, he's done pretty well. Yep. 
Uh, he looks a lot thinner. He looks like he's lost <laughs> at least a head of weight. <laughs> Even with decaying in a room in a warehouse by himself, he's looking. He's looking svelte. He's a sharp like, dresser too. I'm telling you, like <laughs> yeah. the decay is good. Um, and I was just going to say, just to back up what John said, the probable cause bit was nice. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, oh, what about probable cause? Oh, do you hear that? I definitely do. Bam. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're skirting the rules, but... She's playing smart. Yeah, She exactly. is playing smart, in fairness. Uh, but I still think that she might end up miscuing at some point, and Ridenauer is just going to kind of pounce, basically. I, I just don't think her life is very long in the police department. That's all that she thinks she's going to decide to move on, or it's going to be decided for her to move on. Speaking of moving on, bullet point number two. Let's get on to Tilda and Luke. Um, yeah, we have the meeting of one of the Stokes family and Luke Cage. Very careful not to reveal herself as Tilda yeah. Stokes. And very careful in many, many other ways. Um, I think I'm starting to land on your side here, Chris, about Tilda possibly having a slightly shadier side to her than we would have thought being the innocent in the first couple of episodes. Uh, We see her remixing the potion that she gave to Bushmaster, using all the ingredients they had, making it up, and trying to work out what it was he was trying to create. Um, But it doesn't work for her. She's still trying to work out what exactly it is. And then Luke, Luke arrives to find out what it was that she sold to him, and she plays completely coy. She says, oh, well, half the people that come in here got a bag like that when uh, when they got their stuff, and at least three-quarters of my customers are Jamaican men, so, hey, I, I can't really help you out. But she knows who Luke is. She knows he just got beaten up by a Jamaican man on a YouTube video that she clearly watched, and she doesn't put two and two together in front of Luke, at least. So quite interesting to have that little shadier side of her in this episode. I'm sticking with this. There is more to her. You saw that she, as soon as she figured out the nightshade connection, mm-hmm. she jumped into a an old box metal container with other books, pulling out some stuff. So she's definitely aware now. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I think there is a not-so-sweet, not-so-innocent side to Tilda in this. I think that's what we're going to discover. Definitely. Will she end up being a true Stokes by the end of this? I think... I'm still leaning towards that. I think that we'll get kind of hints and drops across the remainder of the season. I'd like to see I like a reveal that because uh, Bushmaster was sent to her from the other Yardies. Yeah. So maybe she has a connection with the Yardies. Right. Her, her trip where... Remember there was a photo of her with a child in uh, an African child as well. Oh, right. Uh, when, she, when the PR lady slid the photo to uh, Mariah, mm-hmm. there was a photo of her. And I was like, maybe that's in, like, she went to the, the African continent and worked with refugees or something. And then I'm like, what if she went to Jamaica? Right. She was helping in Jamaica. And then we find out she has some connection there, that they're the Yardies. It's like she supplies something. So, and it turns out she's not... The innocent. Yeah. And I think that then you have that whole the apple doesn't fall far from the tree storyline against Stokes versus Stokes versus MacGyver. Yeah. There were definitely moments in the scene with Tilda and Luke where she was kind of playing that role that Stephanie played and uh, that, that Mariah had trained her into in the first episode where she was talking about, you know, find their weaknesses and uh, and play on it. So she's touching Luke's, Luke's skin, finding out the weaknesses that he has and talking to him. 
very playfully to begin with and towards the end kind of thing. He's playing back with it. He's he's definitely taking the cues from her that there's something going on between the two of them. One day after he's been kicked out by by uh, by Claire. Oh, well, I guess he wasn't smarting as long as I thought he was going to be smarting. Yeah, yeah I mean... This was a really interesting scene because, like, when I first watched it, I I really did think, I was like, I didn't quite know how to take that. But then all of a sudden, when I watched it again, it was like it really just hit on me how um, managed she was being, how sort of um, reserved. She knew exactly what she was saying, um, even at the end when Luke said, you know, what's your name? And she gave him... Her first name. Mm-hmm. I, I thought that was just really, really interesting. Um, I, I wonder whether she will end up being, say, Mariah's savior in the sense that she now knows about um, Bushmaster's recipe and, and probably what it's used for, whether she has some counter concoctions that can work against it. Mm-hmm. I, I just wonder whether that may be the case further down the line. And I agree with you. I think there is an element here where we're going to see that, you know, she has Stokes blood in her and she will be uh, pure Stokes, as Mariah said about her in terms of, how she played the piano uh, and that uh, yeah leopard doesn't change its its spots or the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree you know that idea that really she is in this game as much as mariah because it's something that makes her feel alive or something like that so i i really enjoyed this scene in the end between luke and, and tilda just because of how kind of restrained it was both trying to find something out about one another, but it really being sort of a game of chess between the two of them. Really cool. Mm-hmm. I have an idea. Call me crazy. This is why I should. I, I would love to consult with Writer Room. Um, but anyway. <laughs> You're crazy, Chris. Later on, and we're going to talk about it quite soon, who the Yardies are. Mm-hmm. What if Tilda is not 100% Stokes and Dillard? What if she is a product of... Uh, Stokes and a liaison in the past okay. which would make her half Yardy. What if that is the connection? What if she actually is we find out that she found out that she wasn't a Dillard at all. She, Mariah is her mother but her father was someone else. She went off searching found the Yardies. She is actually siding with John MacIver Bushmaster to take down who she deems is a terrible person a terrible thing the stokes because that that scene in the house where she's talking about dinner and how the the house used to always have this hushed tone Mm -hmm. the bad side what if that's like played on her continuously and she just wants to destroy that side she wants to destroy the the stokes for what they did to destroy her mother and father's marriage blah 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 that would be a really nice push uh, or like a the, the prompt that causes her to be back it, again now i'm speculating like hell here mm-hmm. i just like that idea of like let's move it on to point three so people understand what i'm talking about i just wanted to say fellow defenders i hope you're taking down these as notes for chris's theories for uh, season two of luke cage because i want to come back to the end of the season because that's a really interesting theory chris thank you and yes <laughs> i think what we should do is at the beginning of the next netflix one we took down our predictions from watching no episodes just <laughs> random predictions 
come back at the end. That, that'll definitely be wrong then. Uh, yes, for the point, point number three, who are the Yardies? We learn a lot more about the Yardies this episode. Some interesting stuff in there. Firstly, given by Thomas, the, uh, the police department officer that Misty is talking to, where he effectively says that the Yardies haven't been around for years. And they have a gang called the Stylers who've been around since the Yardies were first put to ground many, many years ago. And he hasn't really heard about them in the area. But we kind of assumed that they'd been pretty lively and active in the last couple of episodes um everybody seemed to know the name when luke was mentioning it but weren't very open to talking about it but maybe that's because they've just come back out from underground or something yeah i mean i thought this history of the yardies the stylers um bushmaster or should i say the mckivers and the stokes really fascinating mm. um i mean so far i've just really enjoyed uh bushmaster and you know we get his his name here john mciver from jamaica coming in here you know we get to finally um hear the the guy at gwen's caribbean restaurant there on the corner uh, and nancy is his name he is bushmaster's uncle not his brother like i think i said in the synopsis but at the time we didn't uh we hadn't watched ahead didn't know uh is his nephew um and yeah we we really get a sense of um where this guy is coming from and i i loved him meeting up with mariah dillard as well in harlem's paradise that whole chat between Misty and the guy who had leased out the warehouse as well about, you know, the man on top of the hill. Uh, and then we get to see that, you know, that he's going to see these people on top of Sugar Hill, which are the Dillards or the Stokes in Harlem. And you just get the sense. And I think this is what it really puts across is just how important history and that sense of sort of maybe betrayal at some point mm-hmm. uh, down the line. You know, we see that as soon as that name is mentioned, Mariah Dillard is fully clued in about who that is. And also we get this notion with not Whiskey Watch in this case, but Rum Watch. We get the Bushmaster Rum and he says only two people know the secret and both are dead. And, you know, we hear about Quincy McIver and we get, you know, this real um sort of just dismissive tone from from mariah about people only remember the kings and the queens they Mm -hmm. don't remember the skivvies effectively it's the real history as written by the victors kind of speech exactly and i think um this just really felt so nice and yet the absolute balls of bushmaster going into harlem's paradise walking up you know there's a shake of the hand there and he sends a message. He ultimately does send a message to her. He puts his warning down that he's starting to feel comfortable in Harlem. Mm-hmm. You hear Shades talking about, well, they've just bought our weapons. And he doesn't need weapons because we've just seen him take down uh, Luke Cage. Mm-hmm. So Shades certainly is feeling uh, that there is a threat here. And maybe Mariah does as well, but she's certainly hiding it at the moment. And indeed, she is perfectly uh, at ease to give as good as she gets uh, when she really reinforces to Bushmaster that it is Mariah Dillard, bitch. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. A couple of things I really liked about this scene, and, and I suppose you can kind of now piece together what it is that Bushmaster's 
problem is, right? I think this scene, particularly with Mariah, gives enough information as to what it's about. It seems to be to do with the history of the Stokes and what they did. Mariah says that her grandfather, Buggy, uh, had two partners only and they were uh, her parents, the Stokes. But he's kind of saying, actually, no, he didn't. He had somebody else involved in this, which is Quincy McIver. It feels like he obviously took this name, Bushmaster, from the rum uh, that they had created together. And Quincy McIver didn't get any credit for it. But that's how the Stokes Empire was built off the back of the money earned from Bushmaster rum. So uh, so that's quite interesting. We have a really good reason for a villain to have a name that seems a bit weird, right? <laughs> so he's effectively just named it after his ancestral claim, which is Bushma- Bushmaster rum. So it makes a lot of sense, right? And the, the creation of the bar, the the working on the bar was mm. also uh, yeah. his family. They built the bar. I was trying to figure that point a second time. Yeah. But yeah, and I, I do like that the, the, her, as you said, history is written by the victors. So when she's talking about who built the bar, mm-hmm. who built Harlem Paradise, she only mentions the two most powerful yeah. people. She It's like a shoe doesn't care about an ant. Along that lines, which was really just, look, it was completely what I would call a really, like, you didn't know what was going to happen. As soon yeah. as you saw Bushmaster walk in there, I was like, I was expecting things to pop off a bit. Uh, like, basically see him, like, take a few bullets, leap over the balcony, land, and then walk out type right. of thing. Right. To show, I don't need your guns. I can take, I could take you down now if I wanted to. But we don't see that. Again, you see him rein in his anger. Yeah. I'm getting the sense that he wants to first deal with Luke. And as he said, like, he wants to win the heart and then he'll take the mind of Harlem. And the mind being Harlem's Paradise and, and the Stokes. So it's very much a revenge is best served cold. Mm -hmm. And I think he's willing to wait. What I'm interested to see is what will make him move. Yes, absolutely. Like, what is what is so? Just seeing this interaction, like, what's the point where he's like, okay, the goose is fat enough now that I can slaughter it, mm-hmm. and that's it. Okay, again, we're four episodes in of a thirteen episode series. I know they're going to build that up, but it's whetted my appetite. I think it's the best way to put it. De- definitely, and I, I do love the point that effectively uh, Mariah is saying that she could just walk away right now. They're saying they have enough money to walk away right now. So if he doesn't take his opportunity to truly take her down, she could actually walk away with it and just leave it behind her. I don't think that's going to happen. Though. Yeah, or so she thinks. I mean, I, I think that we're kind of told that he gave her more than the 20 million that was required. Mm-hmm. Um, and we hear Bushmaster saying, um, I want her to be fat when she goes to the slaughter, as you say, Chris. Um, and at the end of the day, we see here Mariah Dillard and Piranha celebrating very early on in the morning this 350 million on paper. I think Shades is the one who's beginning to piece certain aspects of this together. Mm-hmm. He's being very distrustful. You know, what does he say? You know, unless I've got it in my hands, unless I can feel it and touch it, uh, I don't believe we've got this 350 million uh, that's on paper. We have Comanche saying ultimately that this guy is someone that moves fast. You know, do you really know that you're not getting uh, hoodwinked here? And is he connected to Bushmaster in any way? Is this all a big setup in in some way? Um, So I think Bushmaster will move when he can destroy an empire. And Mm -hmm. I think that's that's his intention, is to destroy the empire. It may not even be to kill Mariah Dillard. Um, It could be that 
she is destroyed as a person, both in terms as a councilwoman, in terms of her wealth, in terms of her reputation, Mm. which is partly criminal as well. And, you know, what is it? Shays does say he is um, coming for, for someone, and I don't think that that person is Harlem. He's coming for you. I mean, Shays actually says this to Mariah Dillard that he feels that Bushmaster is the coming for her uh, and not Luke Cage yeah. as it looks at the moment. And we get Bushmaster really laying it on. I mean, that interaction in Harlem's Paradise was just so great. Uh, it was so layered in terms of just that immediate scene between Mariah and, and John McIver. Um, but also just because you've had that history layered in as well. You know, you see Mariah looking into an old scrapbook. You see these old adverts for Bushmaster rum. And you really get a sense that there's a lot of history between these two, even with Bushmaster talking about the talking blues being the ancestors giving their history mm-hmm. and keeping that going. Great. And, you know, Mariah Dillard is absolutely dismissive of that. She goes, I can't hear it. He is absolutely immersed in that soul of um, the talking blues, uh, even in terms of the spirituality with regards to his um, ceremonies that he does to get um, the the power or the movement to take down Luke Cage. So, mm-hmm. like, it's a real difference here between these two people coming from uh, very similar backgrounds. I really, really enjoyed it. I just thought it was so nicely layered. Mm-hmm. There's really something cool when you see Mariah go up against anybody of a similar intellect who's just got a great way with her words and the great way to act and sometimes just strikes out like a snake like that moment when she's being called uh, Stokes once again. I think that that's absolutely fantastic to play I wonder, do you think after this interaction she is now aware of who John is? In terms of he is one of the MacGyvers, he disappeared, he's come back to her. Has the realisation dawned on her? Because what we know is John disappeared, went, and now he's come back the king and he wants to take the man off the top of the hill. I think 100% she knows exactly who this guy is. Yeah. She went straight for that, that book that had pictures of her grandfather and somebody else with him, the photographs of Bushmaster. Him choosing that name being Bushmaster indicated everything she needed to know about who he was. She didn't know John McIver. She says that in the last episode, but the name rang a bell with her. So that's why she knows who this person is and why he would be coming for her. But she's trying to to play it calm and cool, trying to present that face that she always does, even to Shades. She's trying to present that face where she's in control uh, and she's kind of losing control. Okay, that that's interesting that you say that because I was wondering, does she dismiss him because she just knows that she can deal with him? She she doesn't feel threatened, even though she knows the history, she knows the background, all of that. She feels that she can control it uh, and deal with this kind of pretender uh, because she maybe just sees him as Nigel, uh, someone that she's dealt with before that he has just taken it over. Maybe she doesn't realize how personal it is, Mm -hmm. but certainly shades has got that inkling uh, as well. Um, I think she sees it as, well, the Stokes already beat your family. 
there's nothing here for you. You're not you're not them. They didn't get anything out of this. We won. The war is over. Walk away. I think that's the way she kind of sees it. But that speaks to her overconfidence as well. Um, she hasn't had a huge amount of success since we've seen the start of season two. So I don't know how she can be this confident about everything going her way. I suppose drinking at quarter past nine in the morning, um, <laughs> celebrating a $320 million on paper deal. Um, I suppose that gives you a bit of confidence when somebody walks into your bar at 5.30 that night. Uh, maybe, but yeah. uh, she shouldn't be this confident. And and the Bushmaster birdie has told them everything. So mm-hmm. um, they can manipulate that situation uh, an awful lot. But I think moving on to bullet point number four, mm-hmm. there is another bit of manipulation going on here. We have Comanche the spy. Absolutely. Um, yeah, really interesting to see that this guy is an informer to Ridenauer, even though that's probably his cover story that because of Scarf, he was able to get off and so on. They have utilized that and that he is, you know, keeping a beady eye on uh, Shades and, and Mariah mm. for the NYPD. So we were wondering why he was pushing so hard against Mariah and Shades to be involved in all the decisions and everything else that was going on. We knew there was something else behind him and we knew either he wasn't long for this world or he was going to convince Shades to drop Mariah at some point. But actually, it's much more intriguing than that. He's He is a plant from Captain Rittenhauer to get more information about Shades and Mariah. And I love that moment when he walks in just after uh, Piranha and Mariah have been celebrating and kind of goes, you know, actually, you don't know what you're doing here. I've learned a lot of this stuff. If you can't explain this game to a seven-year-old, then you're probably going to be the one getting scanned. And Mariah hates that idea that she couldn't, that she may not be the smartest person in the room. That really gets her back up. So again, still not sure whether Kamashi is going to last a huge amount longer, but really intrigued to see that he's now working for Captain Ridenair. I think that's quite interesting. Also, there's a little bit of a dropped moment there where he leaves to go and meet Ridenair, and you see Shades looking for him. He's told something happened with his mom. She called him up. Shade seems to know him from childhood. He instantly knows his mom's name, calls it out and goes, why would she be calling him here? So I think there's going to be a huge fall for Shades when he realizes that Kamachi's not on his side. Uh, he thought this was the one person he could trust. He met him straight out of prison and gave him a job immediately afterwards. So this seems like this is a childhood connection that's been going on for years and Comanche turning on Shades is going to be a big moment later on in the season. Oh yeah, 100%. I think we're also seeing not just the fall of Luke Cage and his support structure, we're seeing the same for the, the Dillards, the Stokes. So mm-hmm. we are getting the mirroring. Uh, what it will come is what happens when the king and queen no longer love each other. Uh-huh. Like That's yeah. what it's going to come to. I, I'm putting the bet down, boys, and I know, I'm know i assuming we're all in agreement. Piranha is pulling a con. There yes. is oh, no yeah, big time. shares. He stole the money. Yeah. Okay, absolutely. can't. Like, it's just, they're, they're kind of smacking us in the face like Bushmaster smacked Luke Cage in the face. <laughs> exactly, with this. exactly. They're doing a double backflip and kicking us in the face this time. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm also wondering whether whether this was all just a setup from, from Bushmaster, whether Piranha is working for Bushmaster and that's uh, how he got the in on the deal and how he knows everything that's going on and why he doesn't take mariah and shades down at this very moment when they're as susceptible to him walking in to their to their place of business why he can't just take them out there is because he wants to see them fall he wants to see her think she's the smartest person in the room she could walk away from this with a billion dollars no way i'm taking everything i kind of like that idea yeah the one interesting bit we saw was that she put up the bar as collateral so that was slipped through 
Yeah. So that's what lead me to believe it's a scam. And as you said, I didn't want to go as far as that it's a ploy of Bushmaster. But yeah, um, I think it's just going to get... What we'll end up seeing is the bar becomes Bushmaster's uh, and then probably becomes Tilda's. (laughs) Beyond (laughs) that... But no, it it definitely... The the bar will be ripped from them. The Mm -hmm. question I have is... We're getting all this so soon. Typically with these series, we've got a kind of two or three act structure for this series. So we usually have like the beginning, the middle, and then the end. I know that sounds quite logical. (laughs) That's what we'll have in every single show, Chris, I promise. Yes, I know. (laughs) It will happen in this season as well. Yeah, Yeah, they're going to have a beginning, a middle, and an end. No, what I mean is they're giving us a lot of information, a lot of story beats up front. So, similar to the Cottonmouth Diamondback, what is going to happen? Because, mm. like, there was a, a set point where the whole tone of and the whole storyline shifted. The fact that we're getting a lot of this so early leads me to believe potentially we're going to have a similar shifting. Right. So, what I have yet to see is where that shift could be going and how quickly the shift can be happening. So, are we going to get seven episodes eight episodes where we have the storyline it all flips and then the final five episodes is something else maybe there is another possibility chris we're completely wrong in all of our predictions and this is a much different story as the season goes on <laughs> that's the other uh, option <laughs> no we're too we're too good it's not like we're, we, we literally are some of the best investigatory uh, netflix series journalist in the world maybe uh, (laughs) (laughs) what i do think though is this is probably the most exposition heavy episode that we've had three episodes in we've now only now learned about who bushmaster is where he's from what's possibly the connection with mariah and i don't think we learned a huge amount of that in the first three episodes so this, this episode was the one where it went okay slow it down a second we've had loads of big stuff happen in the first three episodes this episode we're going to slow it down and give you some information and then maybe the next couple of episodes will be a bit more sped up there'll be a bit, uh, a bit less inf- new information given in those episodes and then we'll have another slow down again a little bit later just to keep the story going as but, well but it advanced the story yeah. so nicely in terms of you know at least at this moment in time that central stokes versus MacIver really really interesting to see that history because you're there for the first three episodes wondering okay why is he absolutely obsessed with uh, mm-hmm. with stokes and i thought that was really really good i think the interesting thing at least for this point as well from my side is you know Comanche the spy is he just a side note where it's going to be this falling out between him and Shades. Is that all that's going to be? Or will it play in in another or different way with the NYPD being involved? Because obviously they're still after Mariah Dillard as well. So Mm -hmm. maybe ultimately this becomes the absolute fall from grace of Mariah Dillard. But what I mean is, you know, it's not going to be about death. It's going to be about a person uh, and her absolute being being crushed um, to the point where she has absolutely nothing. It could be because Tilda betrays her, you know, uh, as has been speculated, along with the loss of her money, a loss of Harlem, the loss of everything, you know, shades, uh, 
Harlem's Paradise and all of this stuff. And ultimately, respect. Okay, I've had a lot of sugar, as our fellow defenders can probably guess by the amount of stories and theories I'm coming up with. No, we just called this episode four, Chris. Okay, yeah. That <laughs> sounds about right. <laughs> I was trying to figure out how they were going to deal with Rittenhauer. Uh, mm-hmm. He's so against Misty, blah, blah, blah. What if Shades and Mariah deal with Comanche and Rittenhauer? Mm-hmm. That they find out Comanche is an informant, they need to stop things. What if Shades so distressed that Comanche has turned on him doesn't just go after Comanche and kills Comanche, but goes after the man who has turned Comanche against him? Well, yeah, we've seen his rage before. Mm-hmm. It's just, it, like it comes up quite easy, so that could be on the bar. If Mariah drops him and he finds out Comanche's been informing on him, he goes crazy, kills Ridenour, kills Comanche, and then that allows potentially Captain Misty. They can't have her on active duty. Well, you can make her a captain. That could be interesting, and she can reform the NYPD from inside. But I just think I was trying to figure out, like, because. Rittenauer is so against Missy. He's so against... Mm-hmm. And now we find out about this. I was like, how are they going to deal with someone who's so set against the vigilante? He's so set... He's no Jim Gordon yeah. from yeah. the from Batman universe. He doesn't believe in vigilantes. You need that someone believing in the vigilantes to a degree. And mm-hmm. I think that could be a way to get rid of someone who's against them and bring in someone nice and new. Right. And, and that's what I thought was just going to drive Misty out of the police department so that she can go and join Heroes for Hire with Colleen, Danny and Luke. So having him around would be the reason that she would leave the police department. But that's an interesting theory, Chris, definitely. Uh, Let's get on to our final bullet point. Uh, Very short one really here, just because it's such a fantastic moment. I wanted to call it as its main bullet point. We call this, there are people that run from the fire and people that run into it because I thought this was beautifully done. Uh, Danny and Colleen have arranged to create Misty's arm for her uh, we see the little round box where she's called out by her full name uh, by danny and misty just to make sure it gets her attention uh, and they tell her that they really respect her and when she's ready they will have her new arm ready for her i just like the moment i like how simone missick plays this part where she's had the kind of heart on the floor moment with colleen she's had that moment where she's pitied herself she's picked herself back up been shown what she can do again and colleen and danny are going to her saying when you're ready, we know you will be. This is here waiting for you. And she just plays it as kind of a, yeah, okay, I think I can do that. I think I can step up there. Yeah, so cool. I loved, soon as I saw the the little Rand insignia, mm-hmm. um, it was just so cool seeing that kind of initial drawing of the, the arm that hopefully she's going to slot on in there and she's going to be like bionic misty night mm-hmm. um so so cool uh, and obviously that we'll probably get a bit more of colleen wing uh who i just loved in the last episode mm-hmm. in episode three with misty i think it's, she's still unsure in the NYPD in her precinct there in Harlem. You know, she's still getting flack from Ridenour. She's kind of, I mean, I have to say just the look on her face when, um, Nadia was just singing the, the show tunes was <laughs> priceless. Brilliant. I mean, I was just like going, 
I'd be doing exactly the same thing, what even though I do yourself? actually like uh, show tunes. Yeah, okay. uh, I would be doing exactly the same thing. I'd be rolling the eyes going, what are you doing? It's not set up perfectly for a, you know, her coming back to the police, um, even though that's what she wanted to do because she was sick to death of just like hanging around her apartment. But you get the sense that she's beginning to realize maybe there is something bigger than the NYPD that she can probably get her 75% worth of salary tax-free and do the kind of stuff that she likes to do, which is this PI, the detective, the investigative work. Um, and this is the the hope and opportunity that I saw in this letter, along with, as you say, just the the great phrasing from Colleen and Danny. Mm-hmm. Really, really cool. And it is. It's one of those cool moments uh, for this series. I know it's Luke Cage, but Misty Knight gets her bionic arm. Very, very cool. Yeah. Given, you know, Luke Cage, Heroes for Hire, Daughters of the Dragon, Power Man, all that group that are together in, in the comics and, you know, know one another, uh, ping off one another. Just really cool. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed this. I was a bit put out by the simplicity of the design. Initial sketch, I reckon. Yeah, very initial. That's something I would draw. I'd love to see some little like notes kind of going, little gun attached here, or being for steel, or... I was expecting something more high-tech, something more kind of, like, I don't so you know. You wanted Misty to receive five big boxes of a technical dossier on how they're going to create the arm. No! I do know what you mean, actually, Chris. Yeah. It was a little kind of like child's drawing on a graph paper. Well, I couldn't draw something like that. No, I now, couldn't either, but I think it's the intent. I don't think it's it's supposed to tell her exactly how this thing's going to work. It's to say just remember Rand Industries can provide you something like this. We have a huge organization. Hey Misty, here you go. It's here for you when you're ready to come to us. It's not about these are all the wonderful things to do. They're, they're going to have that cue moment with her, hopefully, like in James Bond, where she comes, puts her arm on the go, and now look at the cool stuff that it can do. This isn't just a bionic arm. I know, but it did look a bit like Fisher Price's my first <laughs> bionic arm. <laughs> no, but in all serious, I was I was just hoping like they spent some of the the special effects budget, and maybe when she opened the card, it flickered to life, and you got a bit of a, a an Avengers star kind of hologram wow. kind of piece. Like I don't know something. <laughs> it's just like you're introducing advanced technology into it, and it's drawn on graphing paper. I was like. Okay, just even give me scribbles where it's like reinforced vibranium. It could have been the perfect Easter egg for vibranium. Reinforced vibranium arm. This was a drawing to say, when you're ready, contact us. That's all it was. And I do. I think it works much better emotionally that that's what it is here rather than having to pause the moment to try and work out exactly what it says around the drawing for us nerds. Yeah, and, and Rand Corp doesn't want to lose its IP. Exactly. Sure. No, they're not going to give full technical readouts of a bionic arm. To so the postman, yeah. <laughs> you could get it. lost in the post, exactly. exactly. Hey, that was courier delivered. There was no postage stamp. That's true. Roxon could intercept the post, and mm. then they've got bionic arms for all the baddies. True, we have had Hammer Industries already name-checked in this series so far. One bit I just wanted to call out, because I know some of our fellow vendors is probably going, Come on, Chris! 
say it now. For those of you who don't know, in the comic books, it's actually Stark Industries and Tony Stark that creates Misty's arm. Mm-hmm. Um, so because they don't want to cross over too much, and I think we talked about this before in the last season, it's going to be Rand Enterprise. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see when they have Rand Enterprise, the R&D department, the high-tech mm-hmm. lab. I, that's going to be cool because <laughs> when you see Tony Stark... You think Iron Man, you think Bionics, you think high tech. When you, what we know of Iron Fist, we've yet to see a high tech wing in R and D department in terms of uh, high high tech electronics type of thing. So right. I'd be interested to see that. But just a neat little Easter egg for our fellow defenders who are interested in the 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 origin of Misty's arm. Yeah, and I mean Stark is an arms dealer, so yeah. you don't really want that amoral kind of person being involved in like. Misty Knight's rehabilitation. And Rand Enterprises make arms. I like it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I like it. Very good. Very good. Uh, one other hero that runs towards the fire um, rather than running away from it. Uh, just that just that moment, just to call it out, Bobby Fish talking at the end to Luke about the fact that he's going to go and save his daughter by uh, giving her a kidney transplant because he's able to be a donor. I do think this is just underlying that idea of there are many different types of heroes. You don't have to be able to punch through a wall or have bullets bounce off your body to be a hero. I think this is just underlying the fact that Bobby Fish is also a hero because he's willing to give up his life for a girl he's not known at all uh, for most of her life. I think it's interesting that, that we've had the mention of a daughter from Bobby Fish twice now uh, in the series. Uh, one, when he talks to Claire saying having a daughter was punishment for being a wild guy when he was uh, a young man. Um, it does seem to be a different daughter here that he's talking about because he says that uh, her mother and him split when she was very young and he hasn't really seen her, doesn't really know much about her, but he was still willing to stand up and give his kidney uh, to save her life. So it does feel like a different a different daughter or, or else there was some mix up in the writer's room possibly uh, about about that idea because the other daughter they talked to with Claire seemed like he knew her really well and it's been punishment for him. So um, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't know what, I don't know whether you guys have any any thoughts on that at all. I just assumed it was they were reconnecting. Um that he was so close to her back in the day, something happened, now they're reconnecting over the kidney piece. I, I, I was also just assuming they were getting rid of Bobby so that Luke's by himself, and that they'll explain more when Bobby miraculously returns on episode 11 or 12, 13. Yeah, I mean, I, I love the scene between uh, Luke and Bobby. I love them reminiscing about Pop. Bobby kind of says, so you've already done an Eric Benet. Uh, now you're effectively, you've been knocked out as well. Mm-hmm. You know, it's going from bad to worse. You know, he says, do you want the good news or the bad news? Ultimately, even though it's not about Luke, it ends up being bad news for Luke. And of course, that misery is compounded then where he gets served these papers at right at the end. And it, it really shows Luke very much alone. Um, you know, even uh, D-Dub says, are you going away? You know, you're laying low after the, the knockdown from Bushmaster. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Luke really is kind of quite a lonely figure at the moment, other than Misty. And even though with Misty, she's supportive, but she's not giving him any inch mm-hmm. like she's not um she's not gonna let him wallow or take advantage uh, and he he's very much suddenly on his own two feet here with bushmaster and mariah dillard still very much present yeah absolutely absolutely i think that's our top five bullet points for the episode any notes guys 
Um, we get the line dead frozen in ice in this episode. Uh, obviously a nice kind of nod to a certain winged captain uh, in blue. Um, we usually get the green guy, the, the guy in the iron suit, the, the guy with the hammer nods. I'm assuming that's what this was. This was a nod to Captain America. Maybe. It could just be a passing phrase, like maybe it was Mariah talking to Bushmaster when she was when he was drinking the Bushmaster rum, and she's saying to him, "Some things are better left off dead, uh, frozen in the ice." Potentially, that's about the drink. He's got ice in the drink. Uh, potentially, it's just a regular kind of comment that you would say in a post Captain America world, where you would say, "I wish he was in the ice still and not out here fighting bad guys." Uh, maybe it is that. Uh, but yeah, I, I definitely got the same feeling, Chris. I, yeah. saw, I saw the frozen in ice in ice line and felt it was some kind of reference to, to that as well. Uh, definitely fun seeing Bushmaster with his family in Gwen's, um, seeing the real Bushmaster that we haven't really seen in the previous couple of episodes. We've seen him as the man with the plan. We've seen him as going after Luke. We've seen him as going after Mariah. But having that moment with him in Gwen's restaurant with all the rest of them surrounding him and having kind of fun with them uh, as the new returning person from Jamaica to this gang of friends and family that he has there, I thought that was a really nice touch to have a moment with him like that as well. He also does get another big Marvel-type line, John. As a Doctor Strange fan, you must have kind of liked that. Well, I think it brings the mystical side of things back into this show certainly uh the the voodoo element from uh from him where he goes magic is science in its strongest form mm. uh, so it's also channeling a bit of uh thought as well though because mm-hmm. um you know and i i it's an interesting slant it is that slant that magic is just stuff that um cannot be explained and in, in other realms or or dimensions it is effectively science Uh, i think the ancient one talks about it being you know the harnessing of energy that is all around us um so it really really uh again a nice little mystical thing and I, i i think that's really good and certainly if we see uh, Danny Rand coming in here. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be a cool element to bring to Bushmaster. Um, you know, we, we kind of thought that maybe the mystical element other than with Danny Rand would be kind of gone from maybe the majority of the defenders um certainly with the hand having been uh, chopped off in in the defenders series but i i like this little flavor of it the 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 element of um that that mystical voodoo um from you know the traditions of jamaican and caribbean culture i think yeah. it's really really cool yeah um and i say that as uh, a big brother voodoo fan from the comics like i, I love and um, just everything around and surrounding that character so th- this this makes me excited yeah yeah, no, really cool. I love love they've done that little drop in there in their conversation. Uh, my final note really is just about Chris Stone, uh, Kingfish Ingram, uh, who's the artist that's playing uh, throughout this this episode. He plays two songs, plays a cover of uh, The Thrill Is Gone and I Put a Spell on You and is definitely another one that's up there on my top level. This kid has got such a talent on guitar. He's like a mix of B.B. King and Prince. He's got that really beautiful blues voice mixed with his guitar playing he's really really good he's only, i think he's only 19 or 20 years old now uh, at the moment so he's really early on in his career and really looking forward to seeing what he he gives us in future but these two songs were so well played to be again just like in the previous episodes brought in to the conversation because 
it's so important for the show to be brought in by Bushmaster talking about the blues is your ancestors talking back to you. Um, really beautifully done. Really, really beautifully done. Yeah, I'm a massive fan of BB King, so seeing him do the thrillers gone, right. I was just like, yeah, this is great. Excellent. Guys, think it's on to the fence, unless there's any other notes? Nothing for me. No, nothing for me. I can cool. smell a defense is coming, as The <laughs> Rock would say. I think they are. Chris, on that note, do you defend Luke Cage? Season 2, episode 4, I get physical. I, I 100% uh, defend. This is a slower episode. Uh-huh. Uh, I do want to put that in there. There's a lot more exposition. We're finding out a lot more. We get that sometimes around the 4, 5, 6 episodes where it does slow down. Then we get another peak. Slows down and we get the final. Um, so I was expecting it... I don't think they're going for the slow burn long payoff of mm-hmm. like we'll get the, the, the large payoff. I do think now we're going to get a two arc structure. They're explaining a lot. They're ramping a lot a lot quickly. Like if you think about it in season one when we found out Scarf was a snitch for the bad guys. Um, we see that in episode four now we learn about Comanche in episode four now. Mm-hmm. Like I'm like we didn't learn that till like what eight nine in season one uh, about Scarf. So they're burning plot points quite quickly. So that does lead me to believe we're going to get a two-act piece. I'm fine with that. Like, speed up the pace slightly if you're going to continue to burn this part out because I want to find out who is this season's Diamondback. Because Mm. I coming into this, I thought this was going to be... Bushmaster is the central villain. Mariah is the secondary villain. Um, and I, I, I don't know how you're going to change this. And that's the part. I don't know. I have all these theories. I have these wild kind of guesses. Probably none of them are going to be true. I want to know what's happening. I want this storyline badly. I like this. I'm really enjoying this. That's why I defend it. I'm saying it's slightly slower than the other episodes. I'm saying it's potentially going to go too quickly if they continue at this pace and the the remaining episodes may be lackluster, but I want to know more. So mm-hmm. that is why I give it a defense. I'm hungry for the, the snapper, if you will, as <laughs> uh, we get in the Jamaican restaurants. Nice, nice. John, do you defend this episode of Luke Cage? Uh, episode four, I get physical. Yes, I do defend Let's Get Physical by Olivia Newton-John. Sorry, no, I also defend I Get Physical, um, episode four of Luke Cage. I give this four Shabba Ranks and a Macho Man Randy Savage uh, out of five, <laughs> um, just to chuck everything out the window. I nice. definitely, it was it was a bit slower this episode but i really enjoyed the exposition um around bushmaster uh, his family the mcivers and the stokes and obviously then with mariah dillard i'm loving that shades is getting that distrustful uh look even more in his eyes um and i really enjoyed simone missick's performance here as the support to an increasingly isolated looking figure of, of luke cage and i i've really enjoyed that they've taken luke cage to that place um seeing you know people for various different reasons with you know bobby fish um leave him to to help his long lost daughter you know, Pops went in, in season one, Claire because of things that he has done, uh, D-Dub because he 
is wanting to make money and branch out. We saw that in episode one. So I really enjoyed seeing this isolated looking figure. And I thought Simone Mystic being his kind of one pillar of support, but still not giving into his charm. I really enjoyed that. Um, and of course, for her to get that envelope with the card and the plans for this replacement arm from Danny Rand and Colleen. Uh, really, really cool moment uh, in, in this episode. Absolutely loved uh, that. And of course, then, you know, there's a bit more intrigue there. You know, what is Comanche up to? What is Piranha up to? How is this going to play out? You know, is this simply um, just going to be kind of a, a, a traditional mob thing or is it about complete destruction degradation of mariah and her name you know uh, that i think uh, is going to happen love the bushmaster room love that moment in harlem's paradise where the two of them these two titans uh, come together where you have christo and kingfish ingram playing his music mm -hmm. again really nicely shot written uh and acted with great music playing so uh, absolutely do defend this episode of luke cage so derek do you defend this episode of luke cage i get physical yeah another defender for me easy defend this one um these shows are gonna always have episodes that are heavy in exposition but that's what these shows are about the 13 episode shows that drop in one day and most people watch them straight off the bat so an episode of exposition just means you're being told the story here <laughs> you're being shown the story it's not like the flash it's not 13 episodes of he meets a bad guy he beats him up at the end of the episode and then he sticks him in a cage and then move on to the next episode he beats a bad guy he punches him up sticks them in a cage. These are actual storytelling shows. These are shows about what's happening with all of the characters. How are they interacting? How do they know each other? What's the background? Why does one hate another another character? What's their past? Um, and this was a really well done version of that, I think. Uh, it laid out the groundwork for the rest of the season. Um, it gave us some really good background details on our main bad guy here. Uh, so he's not just a villain walking into the show. And it gave us some great stuff with Misty, uh, as, we, as we all have said. Uh, and it's laid luke cage low once again and he's been served now so let's see what's happening in the next episode looking forward to to seeing that one uh, guys let's get on to some feedback as we're getting our feedback rolling in for our episodes uh, as we go along if you want to send in feedback you can email us at feedback at defenders tv podcast.com or you can leave us a voicemail over on our website at defenders tv podcast.com or you can go on to our twitter account at defenders cast like the director of episode three of luke cage season two uh, mark jokes did uh, who told us it was an absolute privilege to capture two amazing actors playing off each other with such visceral honesty like rosario dawson and mike coulter he says actually in all the intensity of the scene between the two of them we had a really big laugh at one moment rosario took a long long pause and i was thinking wow she's really into this then suddenly she turned to me and said i'm so sorry i need to pee <laughs> <laughs> Great, Mama. Thanks so much, Mark, for sharing that with us. And that was our favorite moment of uh, of the last episode. Uh, I love that they can have these moments where someone like Rosaria Dawson is on stage and everybody's thinking she's being really intense in their performance because she gets there so often in the movies that she's been in and the TV shows she's been in. She is a really intense actress when she needs to be and just for it to turn out to be a, a moment where she needed a little personal time. Uh, that's great. Thanks so much for that, Mark. <laughs> 
Moving on. So over on Facebook, we got some great feedback from Jamie Young, who says, I know I mentioned Shades and Mariah in episode three feedback, but I feel like the precariousness of their relationship is even more on display in episode four. At the end of season one, Shades was pulling all the strings, but it seems Mariah is now the one in charge. And Mm -hmm. Shades doesn't appear to be too happy about that. It would be fun to see how the tension plays out. I can't help but think they'll probably turn on each other before the end. Jamie went on to say, I'm so glad Luke and Missy are still friends. Missy's response to Luke asking if he could crash in her place was hilarious. <laughs> Hell no. Definitely. She finished off her feedback with, My only concern so far is that a little bit worried about Claire's character arc. She's kind of just Luke's girlfriend now, and that's unfortunate. Maybe I'm wrong, maybe the writers aren't done with her yet, but I hate to see such a strong and assertive character being reduced to the love interest who runs away when things get complicated. Jamie... I 100% I think we've already talked about this and we talked about it in the last episode and I think myself and Derek are in complete agreement with you in that we don't want Claire just to be reduced to the love interest who runs away she doesn't really she has a fair reason for mm-hmm. leaving and she sticks to her guns Yeah. I don't want her coming back to to complicate or degrade her rationale for leaving I think there'll need to be a strong reason for her to come back but I don't think she's just Luke's girlfriend. She's she's our night nurse. She's our Netflix night nurse. She's been a threaded character. She, we've grown as we've grown 160 episodes of Defender TV podcast. She's been in every one of the series. Mm-hmm. Um, she's been there with us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, really good points there, Jamie. And I, I really think that she hasn't run away. Um, I think she's making a point and, yes. and I think that she really has tried to get that across without running away for the short time we've, we've been with these characters for the first three episodes of this season of Luke Cage. Mm-hmm. I, I really think, um, she has some really strong dialogue. Um, and I, I actually think, um, it, it's more, that she's made a point to say, um, you know, I'm separating myself rather than uh, a, a runaway as such. Absolutely. She's made um, a stand rather than running away. Uh, and I agree with you. I don't, I don't want her to be Luke's girlfriend anymore. I think that's that's done now. And I'd like it to be Claire Temple with Colleen Wing and with Misty Knight in a completely different storyline going on in the rest of the series in this storyline in Harlem. Um, I, w- I want to see that. Yeah, thank you, Jamie, for the feedback. I am absolutely with you on Misty's response to Luke as well. <laughs> and I really can't wait to see Shades and Mariah and how that all uh, turns out. Um, Claire Payne also on Facebook says, I absolutely love this season of, of Luke Cage so far. One of the highlights in this episode for me was Misty receiving the drawing of her new bionic arm. Mm-hmm. After a great scene between Misty and Colleen in episode three, in Colleen telling Misty that losing an arm should not let this be the defeat of her, has now got to get used to the idea of having a part of her back. Brilliantly played by Simone Missick. Mm-hmm. Absolutely really enjoying uh Simone Missick uh playing Misty Knight here uh, absolutely loved it and I really hope to see her develop uh both with Luke um but also with Colleen uh, as we've seen I think in as you say episode three and four um of this season Claire yeah really really nice points Doug Green replies I've got two episodes left and Simone Missick kills it all season she's easily my favorite actress on all the Marvel Netflix shows 
Well, that sounds fantastic, and I really can't wait to to get into the rest of the season and just to see how good uh, Simone Missick is as Misty because she's been just great so far. Absolutely, um, for absolutely. sure. Yeah, thanks so much, Claire, Jamie, and Doug. Can we tell Claire now that because of the amount of feedback that we've got in from her, from all the Defender shows and from Gotham TV podcast, and because Claire Temple has not been on screen for a little while in our podcasting group, that we've actually <laughs> called Claire Temple Claire Payne about 20 or 30 times over the course of the last couple of podcasts. Thanks very much, Claire, for your feedback, and thanks to everybody that sent in their feedback. If you want to pop in feedback to us, as I mentioned, just email us at feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com. So we have some more voicemail feedback from Ryan about episode four of Luke Cage. Hey guys, how you doing? Ryan here. My review for episode four. Um, really liking this. I'm liking the fact that Mariah doesn't seem to be worried at all about this investment that she's uh, put a lot of money into. If that was me, I'd be uh, very suspicious. A bit like Shade said, you know, if you can't touch it, it's not real. So let's see what happens there. Several warnings from people and I too seem to think it might be a scam or something will go wrong. When you hear offshores accounts and money being moved from here to there, it normally goes wrong, you know, so we'll see what happens. Um, I like the conversation that Luke and Bobby had. Bobby obviously might not see him for the rest of the season now, but I do like the fact that he's gone off somewhere else and they're not going to kill him off because I think Luke needs that relationship in his life. If he hasn't got it with his father and he definitely hasn't got pops anymore, he needs someone to tell him straight like he did when he said, you know, you Eric Bernay the situation with Claire and it is, you know, he was a very silly man, Mr. Eric Bernay. You cannot have a woman like Halle Berry in your life and do what he did. Very silly. But uh, so far, so good. Again, loving this and this could be like one of you said, I think it was Chris. This for me could be one of the best Netflix Marvel series so far. So, but we are only four episodes in. We did think that with last season and look what happened. So, yeah, so far, so good. And speak to you soon, guys. Bye bye. Thanks so much, Ryan. Really good feedback there. Yeah, I think we're all on the same page about Mariah that she's really taken this uh, idea of easy money a bit too, uh, too simply. Um, there's definitely something there in the background. Yeah, cheers, Ryan. Um, definitely agree on Mariah, but oh God, I need to call my broker. This is making me think about my offshore account. Of course, it's as soon as you're going offshore, Swiss bank account, it's just bad. Yeah, speaking of Swiss bank accounts, we can't really say anything. <laughs> I, think but... I, have, I think I have six Swiss bank accounts, to be honest. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely offshore accounts, uh, Swiss bank accounts. Yeah, and, and definitely that little call of, and you've given me power of attorney, attorney that only grants me access to sort this particular situation out. Yeah, that guy's gone. He's he's on the run, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Ryan, for the, the feedback. Um, completely agree. You know, Luke is... Probably getting a little lost here with all these father figures either have gone, died, left him, or he's not willing to sort of engage with. Yeah. And of course, he's he's lost his lady in his life as well. So, uh, yeah, really good point. Mm-hmm. Um, Eric Benet, Luke, what did you think? What did you think? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, and best season so far, Chris? How are we going? We're still good. Mm-hmm. We're still good. Like, I know <laughs> the more I'm watching, I'm like, please don't pull a diamond back. But OK, let's let's see how it goes. I'm open to wishing and wanting. <laughs> there, you go. there you go. Well, Ryan has one other message just for you, Chris. Guys, also I forgot to say, um, 
I'm happy to take on the challenge of uh, you know translator for anything that you guys need to know that the uh, yardies are saying. And just so you know, uh, this slang is called patois. But um, I am not going through everything and breaking it down one by one. But if there's anything you guys need to know, feel free to ask me. And if I know, I'll let you know. Not a worries. But uh, yeah, thanks, Derek. I think you have my back. He said that's a lot of work. I don't really feel like going through and uh, breaking down every single bit of slang that's been said by the Yardies in this. But I will help out our fellow defenders as much as I can. So thanks a lot, guys. Bye-bye. Nice one, Ryan. Thanks so much for that. Uh, realistically, that's what subtitles are for. I think Chris was giving you way too much of a job there. Always got your back, man. Yeah, Always exactly. We we couldn't stop paying the minimum wage either here <laughs> on Defenders TV podcast. Because well, we have no wage. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Ryan, thank you so much. I, I was going for a stretch goal. Okay, we can make it more realistic. Anything cool like Gawan, I never... Is it, it was Gawan, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. I've been really trying to find a way to use Gowan in normal, everyday conversations, but I'm just getting looks of derision and confusion from most people. I'm really enjoying just the, like, the culture. I'm enjoying the language. Excellent. You know, Chris, there's a really easy way to solve this. You could just go for Mrs. Doyle with, would you like a cup of tea? Go on, go on, go on. <laughs> that could God work. bless Father Ted. That could yeah, work exactly. for you. How about going for Irish culture and looking for the, a cup of tea? The one thing I do <laughs> want to ask Ryan, actually, is because I heard it twice now. Mariah, I think, said it to Nigel, is she kind of said uh, wagwan or something like that. Okay. Um, it it seemed like a salutation, like hello or something, or how are you doing, something like that. Um, it'd be really interesting to know um, right. cool. what what that means. Cool. Well, again, thanks so much, Ryan. I'm loving, loving your feedback and um, voicemail. If anybody else wants to leave us a voicemail, come over to the website, DefendersTVPodcast.com. Just click the send voicemail button and leave us a voicemail of up to 90 seconds of your thoughts or two voicemails of 90 seconds each, and we'll stitch them together for the podcast. Keep going, Ryan. Send in your feedback. Uh, it's been really, really enjoyable hearing your thoughts so far. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much, Ryan. We'll be back with our review of Luke Cage Season 2, Episode 5, all sold out next Tuesday. And then we'll be back on Fridays and Tuesdays each week from now on with a new episode of our reviews of Luke Cage Season 2. Thanks so much, fellow defenders, for joining us. Guys, thank you so much for joining us. Yes, share this love, and we can all get sold out together next episode. As always, thank you so much for listening. It's a pleasure speaking with you. And, of course, I'm off to find Nigel's head uh, as he listens to Shabba Ranks uh, whilst the rest of his body dances along unknowingly uh, to that fantastic I think early 90s tune. Mm -hmm. But once we've listened to Shabaranks, we'll be back with you uh, next time. Shabba. Speak to you later. Bye. You think I'm holding back?